and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 7 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name's Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today we have the um, phenomenal opportunity to have Lauren Wells back with us again today. Many of you remember that we had a, a great discussion and a very insightful discussion with her earlier on um, about her book, Raising a Healthy Generation of, of TCKs, and um, just really appreciate her, her wisdom and her insight when it comes to TCKs and her passion for this for this area. She um, just wrote this new book, The Grief Tower, and um, where she and that's what we talk about today and it's a practical guide to processing grief with third culture kids and um, you can find it on Amazon and um, I'll put a link to it but Heather and I both uh, have uh, have read it and reading it and just have found that it, it to be so insightful one honestly for third culture kids and then and also for the parents of third culture kids like me who are not a third culture kid and uh, continue to make mistakes um, just because I don't understand the intricacies of being a third culture kid but I really do appreciate um, authors who do and um, people that are helping me grow um, to become a better parent and um, to care for my kids um, in the process as we transition. So it was a great time sitting down with Lauren, really appreciated her, her wisdom, her insight, and uh, just just great and uh, just have a conversation with her. Do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, which is Appalachian Spring Dermatology, bringing new life to your skin. Learn more about the medical, cosmetic, and skin cancer screenings and treatments at Appalachian Spring Dermatology. And sign up for Dr. Rosenberger's blog at wvderm.com, wvderm.com. Do want to also encourage you, if you've not yet subscribed to the podcast, I know the ones that I subscribe to are the ones I listen to and just would uh, really appreciate subscribing to the podcast. Well, there's no time better than get now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here again today with Lauren Wells. And uh, Lauren, it's so great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be back. It is. And before Lauren and I jumped in, I, I was just sharing with her that her episode was one of the top um, downloaded on the podcast, and it really resonated with a lot of the listeners. And um, when I heard that she was, my wife told me she was having a new book come out, and I thought, well, hey, if we could sit down and talk about the new book, that would be phenomenal. Can you share a little bit about your new book and what has led you to, to write it? Yeah, absolutely. So the new book is called The Grief Tower. And in my previous book, Raising Up a Generation of Healthy Third Culture Kids, I mentioned the grief tower, um, but I don't really have the time and space in that book to unpack it. And so even when I was writing that book, I knew this was going to deserve its own, its own content, its own book, because it would just take over the whole other book if I tried to put it all in there. Um, the content that's in there is content that I've been teaching for quite okay. a while, that a lot of people were saying, how can we get this in written form? Because it's great teaching material, it's great teaching content, but there's so much to unpack and so much to do with it. So how can we take it to our family and then really use it? So I began writing it as just a simple, small little workbook. And because I can't stop writing and <laughs> my brain just works that way, it turned into a full-blown book. So yeah. it's going to be shorter than the, than the original right. um, Raising Up Healthy TCK's book, but it will be um, something to read, not just a workbook. 
Awesome. Awesome. And uh, man, I'm glad that you are, are doing it. And uh, is what I've got to read of it was really encouraging to me. And as it says, it's a practical guide. When you yes. do, when you're in your writings, you're focused on having practical guides. That seems to be a focus. Could you share just a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. I am a mom myself yeah. of little kids. And yeah. so a lot of the time when I read parenting books, which I read a lot of, and I did even before I had kids just for my, my work with a lot of families, I was always thinking, just tell me what to say or just tell me what to do. Just give me the, the formula or that sort of thing. And we all know that parenting is not a formula, right. but it does help to have really practical in this moment. Here's what you can say or the conversations to be had or an activity or that sort of thing. Because I think a lot of the time as parents, we get that, that head knowledge of, I, I know what the, the ideas are, but I don't know how to communicate them to my three-year-old. Yeah, and so sure. trying to bring it down to that level um, is, I think, really useful. So that's what I try to do with anything I do with TCK Care. And I think even, even more so than the normal general parenting world, the TCK world has even fewer very practical tools like this. No, no, and really appreciate it. And that's, I'm like you, I just want to know what do I need to do? And uh, theory is, you know, great, but then the, the practicalities really help me. Mm -hmm. If someone, you know, we, we, we spoke and we, I interviewed you on episode 53. And if somebody had not listened to that episode yet, um, could you just jump into a little bit about what the Grief Tower is? And we'll start there. Yeah, definitely. So the grief tower is how I like to explain the grief of the TCK life and how it stacks up. And the idea is that every loss, every grief inducing experience, every intense moment of fear, there's a list of the things that would fall on the grief tower. And those things stack up like blocks on a tower and they stack higher and higher throughout the developmental years. And the overarching idea is that if you go into adulthood with a high stacked grief tower, it's going to come crashing down at some point. And we usually see for TCKs that that happens in their early 20s, um, some in, in college and some shortly after they finish university. But there's just something that stacks on the very top that knocks it over and causes all sorts of problems. And so the concept of preventive care in regards to the grief tower is how can we take those blocks off and not, not throw them away and say, well, we've talked about it. We're never going to look at it, cry about it, worry about it again, but instead take it off and set it next to the tower so that we don't have it carrying the same weight as if it stays unprocessed in our, in our brains. So in our brains, when it's essentially lodged back there and we haven't processed it, we haven't talked about it it carries a lot more weight than when we take the time even just to talk about those things that are on the tower and to think through them and, and consider them from different angles, which we'll probably talk about a little bit. Um, but that's the idea of the grief tower. Good deal. And as you mentioned, taking them off, um, practical guide, what are some things when we, as we, we take them off, you said not to discard them, but what are some other maybe common mistakes or things that we should be aware of as parents or as a TCK as we take those off? So maybe to do's and not to do's. Yeah. So the four common <laughs> mistakes um, that I like to talk about are downplaying, um, competing, correcting, or defending. So downplaying is when we look at that grief that the child is expressing or T 
teenager, whomever, and say, well, I mean, that's not that bad. Or I don't remember it seeming that bad for you, or you weren't really that upset about it and kind of downplaying the grief. Um, Sometimes we do this for little kids really easily because they tend to attach grief to tangible things. For example, um, my daughter, she's four, and we moved from Oregon to South Carolina back in March. And anytime that she would cry, she had a really hard time with the move. Anytime she would cry and be really upset about it, she would cry about missing grandma and grandpa's vacuum. And they had one of those little Roomba robotic vacuums. They lived near us in Oregon. And anytime that she would cry, it was sobbing about how much she missed the vacuum. Yeah. Well, it'd be easy to downplay in that situation and say, well, of all the things to be really upset about. (laughs) (laughs) But I knew a lot because of what I do, that it really is just attaching to something tangible. And that's something that's really common for little kids. They'll find something that just makes sense to them to attach it to, um, even though it's really expressing the bigger, larger grief behind it. So that's downplaying. When we, can I just ask you one quick question on downplaying? Why do you think as a, as a parent, as a father, I know that I do that. Is that anxiety in me that I just want to downplay it to make sure everybody feels okay? Is there some common things on you? Why parents would downplay something that their child is sharing with them? Yeah. So a couple of common things, um, like what you were saying, sometimes we, we have a hard time talking about the hard things. And so when we hear something like that, we think maybe, Like, okay, well, this doesn't have to be a hard conversation because it's not that big of a deal. And so I can divert this away from this hard conversation. Um, Another thing is sometimes it just genuinely feels like it's not worth the battle. It's not worth the the drama. It's not worth the the Mm. tears, whatever it is. And so when we think of it as as just about the vacuum or the pillowcase or the little Lego piece or whatever it is that they're really upset about leaving behind – it does in our heads seem like, well, that's silly to get so worked up about. Um, but when we can put it in the perspective of, okay, what does that symbolize? Then that helps us kind of redirect ourselves to, to taking it a little bit more seriously. Good stuff. Good stuff. Sorry to interrupt you, but it was a question right. that was resonating, ringing in my mind. I thought I'm going to ask now, cause if I don't ask now, I'll forget. So, yeah, sorry. Anytime. So downplaying. And then the, the second one, the second D is defending. And defending comes into play for TCK specifically a lot because it has to do with defending a decision that was made that caused the grief. So defending the move or the school that you chose or the neighborhood or the type of house or living overseas at all, that sort of thing that instead of um, affirming the grief, which we'll talk about the the positive things to do here, not just the things not to do. Um, but instead of affirming the grief, you're saying, well, I did this for you. In a sense, you're saying to them, or, or they feel like you're saying you shouldn't be upset about it because I really did this for your best interest, or we moved overseas for the purpose of something really great and really good. And so I don't understand why you're so upset about it. Um, so that's defending. And sometimes it's not as blatant as the example that I just gave. Um, but it does come out a lot, especially again in the TCK world. The next, yeah. No, good. Sorry. 
The next two are competing and correcting. So competing, um, we've all experienced this probably with a friend at some point in our lives where we share something that we're really upset about and they say, oh yeah, well I had this time when, and they go into their thing and then before long you're comforting them when really you came to them for the, the comfort. Um, so that's competing when a child shares something with you and you try to give an example or one up them and say, well, I experienced something way worse than this, that sort of thing. And then finally correcting. This is one that I think is the most common and is probably the one that um, goes unnoticed the most. And that's when we try to correct the facts when they're trying to tell us about their feelings. So when they're telling us about their feelings about something, the facts in that moment don't matter. Their perspective does. There's a time to narrate the truth and to give them the facts and say, so here's what actually took place or that sort of thing. But in the moment when they're processing their grief, that's not the time to correct their perspective about what happened. It's to acknowledge, oh, wow, I didn't realize that was your perspective and how you feel about it. And then later you can come back and re-narrate their story, correct the facts. Um, but again, not, not in that moment of grief processing. So what I hear you say is, is parents or whoever would be working with uh, a TCK or, or, or listening to just allow them to share and not, not be focused on what they're saying, whether it's, it's more the emotions of, of talking about it more than the, the facts of the story. Is that, is that correct? Exactly. And the, the three things to do are to acknowledge, affirm, and comfort. And you can move on to giving the facts after that. You can move on to telling a story about when you felt like that. There are lots of things that you can do beyond that. But before anything else, when kids are processing their grief, it's so important to acknowledge that what they're feeling is legitimate, that it's valid, that it's a real emotion, to affirm it and say, this is, this is okay. You're allowed to cry. You're allowed to be upset. And then to comfort them. And that looks different for each kid and their stage of life. When they're little, they may need lots of snuggles and hugs. And when they're a teenager, they might want to go out for ice cream or whatever. But trying to comfort and be with them in that moment without doing the other four things, but just, again, acknowledge, affirm, and comfort them in those moments before you move on to anything else. Good deal. And I can remember small bits of information. So that really helps me. If the 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 three four things not to do the three things to do and um i can at least i can remember that and uh and i really appreciate it it helps me one of the things is i read your new book um that jumped off the page and maybe i just had never thought about it before um you share that the blocks stacked on the grief tower during the developmental years impacts how um, we process future blocks, relationships, actions, and thoughts going forward. Can you share about that? That's a lot. And honestly, as a parent, I thought, oh my gosh, because my kids are moving beyond those development of years. But uh, yeah, could you just share a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, your children are not a lost cause by any means. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot that can still they can still be done there. So sure. the idea is that when we have blocks that stack on our tower that we don't process through well, it subconsciously influences how we process future blocks going forward, um, how we act on things going forward. So a really good example of all of these things is 
for a lot of TCKs, they have friends who move away a lot. So maybe they make a really close friend, that friend moves away. They make another close friend, that friend moves away. And maybe they have three close friends who move away in one year. Well, that's a pretty big block on their tower. And if they don't process that and really grieve that and, and not just grieve it, but really think through how that has impacted them, then that influences their actions going forward. So maybe then they decide, well, it's not even worth it to try to make friends because they're just going to leave. And their thought process is, I'm always going to get hurt by people, and so I'm not going to attach to them any longer. And so those things are directly influenced by that one block on the grief tower. And we'll talk about the grief tower timeline, I think, in a minute. But when we are unstacking the grief tower and when we're processing it, it's really important to look at those blocks and think, okay, so because this happened, how did that influence your actions, your thought processes, your relationships, everything going forward? Because you're likely to see repeat themes in the blocks because they influence each other and and that sort of thing. That's good. And so um, is there, in those developmental years, are there, what should parents, what should we be aware of? Or do we need to process more frequently, less frequently, frequently? What are some things we should be looking for? Yeah. So processing frequently is important um, because when you process frequently, you can process deeper. So when I am debriefing a family and they have older teens, there's only a certain level of processing that we can do in two days because we're just really figuring out what's on the grief tower and then starting to work through it. But maybe there are 20, 30, 40 blocks on their grief tower of losses, moves, significant events, all of these things from their 17 years of life, that sort of thing. Um, So when you instead are are debriefing regularly or you're unstacking the grief tower regularly, um, then you're able to, for example, process the year. So instead of having to process the last 17, you're processing, okay, so in January, were there any significant events, anything that was really grief-inducing? We all have a 2020 grief tower that needs to be unstacked. And if we go through month by month through the last year, we'll see where those blocks stacked, how they added up and how, again, they influenced the next month or the next thing that happened throughout the year. But you can't do it that in depth unless you've previously done the years before and that sort of thing. So once you have gotten to the point of unstacking your grief tower from what you first remember about your life all the way up until present, then going forward, you can do really um, a lot deeper of unstacking. That's good. I'm all about preventative um, and preventative maintenance. So I'm, you know, that's what I'm looking for looking for. And that's what really resonated in this process. Um, in your book, it talks about that. And in the developmental years, I mean, it makes sense that it would have a, a greater impact. But when you shared the, all the things, you know, I guess I've realized, well, maybe it would affect how you process grief. But when it's our relationships, actions, and thoughts, I thought, wow, that's, that's, that's very encompassing. And uh, just how important how important it is. Um, you, you mentioned the grief timeline. Um, what are, what are some ways that parents, um, could, 
first off, could you share about the grief timeline? And then could you share about how parents or TCKs can use the, this activity and why it's vitally important? Yeah, definitely. So in the book, I walk you through how to go through the grief tower timeline with your kids or for yourself, because it's important that you know yours as well. And how you do this for a family, I'm going to give an example for a whole family. If you're sitting down at the dinner table doing this grief tower timeline together, you would get a big piece of butcher paper or um, a paper roll or some people in countries around the world where it's hard to find those things and you don't have Amazon, they just tape their papers together. There's a lot of ways to do it, but long piece of paper and you're going to write in blocks right next to each other, um, every single move, every big loss that the family's experienced, any family crisis, any big seasons of grief, any seasons of um, severe depression or anxiety. And when you're doing the family one, you want to focus on things that have affected the whole family. You can then do individual ones and go into what happened to that particular person. But the family one, you're going to focus on things that affected the entire family. So you're writing all of those things down in little blocks all next to each other. And then you're all going to go through and write down two emotions associated with each block. So every family member, and I always, um, when I'm walking families through this, have an emotions chart on hand, um, a couple of, of ideas. So I have a simple emotions chart with faces on it that you can download at my website, tcktraining.com. And that's great for little kids because they can just draw the faces. For teenagers, I have them create their own emotions chart with emotions words that resonate with them. It has to be a range. It can't be all difficult or all positive emotions, but they get to choose their emotions words and create their own chart because we all have emotions words that we connect with more than others. Um, so all that to say, you're going to have your emotions words, your emotions chart, go through the timeline for each block, each event each grief inducing thing that happened, you're gonna write two different emotions, every family member is, and then every family member is going to circle the very hardest thing that happened on that timeline. And then that's where the processing comes in. So you're essentially, by doing this, creating your, your processing to-do list. So now you have all these blocks laid out that you know as a family you need to process. And the, the way that you process can look different. There are a lot of options. Um, but a couple of examples are journaling. So perhaps you decide to um, all take an evening and write about it or journal about it. And the prompts would be things like, how has this um, emotion impacted me? Or how did it feel in my body when I experienced this? How has it influenced my thought processes going forward? Like we were talking about, how has it impacted my relationships? So you're processing all of those. And this is all in the book too. So I feel like this is a lot of information, but if you don't remember it, you can read it later. For sure. Um, so they can journal it. They can um, do art processing and I'll have an art processing activity in the book. They can use um, exercise processing. The thing about processing with exercise is you can't do it with headphones in and a podcast on. You have to actually be thinking about the block that you're processing and taking the time to do that. Oh, for sure. um, 
So there's lots of different ways that the blocks can be processed, but the idea of the timeline is to lay it out so the whole family can see these are all the things on our family's grief tower, and we need to be intentional about unstacking it by taking time for every single one of these to process them. And so does this come back, um, so the, the timeline's laid out there, then do we need to be aware of the four things and the three, four things that we shouldn't do and the three things that we should do when we go through this yep. timeline so that we're, I would imagine or hypothesize that maybe some of the emotions um, for each person, it might've been a positive for one and not a positive for others. How do we navigate that? Do we, do we return to the three things that we, we, we need to do rather than the, the things we shouldn't do? Or how do you, what's the suggestions, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah. So my biggest um, suggestion and what I advise families to do when, when I'm sitting there with them around their dinner table and they're writing this out as a family and I will remind them to stay curious about why people chose this one as their hardest or they put these emotions and ask questions. Why did you feel so upset when this happened? The rest of us were all really happy. So why is this emotion different? Um, and just staying curious, asking, um, you're really with this grief tower timeline trying to learn about each other, which you've all been in this family together, you've all had similar experiences, but a lot of the time we don't really know the deeper emotions that every person in the family had in regards to those experiences. And especially the kids don't know how the parents felt most of the time. The kids have a hard time knowing or realizing that, wow, this move was hard on them too. I thought they loved it. And so it's a really, really good time to learn about each other. And that's, that's the purpose of the original um, timeline. Another quick tip is when all the family members are doing their, um, writing their emotions, circling the, the main one and everything, I always assign each family member a color so that they can remember who put what and make a little key in the corner, um, that sort of thing. And so for, for parents, uh, they would have to be willing to be vulnerable and, and admit that this was a, this was a trying, cause I, th I would imagine if everything was a win for me, it would be kind of hard for my kids to say, well, maybe it wasn't, you know, I guess that's, have, do you see that, that maybe sometimes parents are a little hesitant to be vulnerable and say, Hey, this was a rough time. And as you shared a lot of times, um, TCKs don't know what their parents were thinking and processing, um, in a situation because maybe their parents didn't share it with them at that time. Um, do you have any advice for parents on, on steps they can take to, to being vulnerable, um, with their kids and, and yeah. Absolutely. TCKs specifically experience so much grief and loss and they experience so um, many emotions but they often don't know what to do with them or how to express them or even feel them and we see tck's separating their their body from their emotions a lot for that reason and that sort of thing and tck's also often don't have many people to model healthy emotional responses except their parents and so it's so, so important that parents are willing to do that for the health of their children. And when I, whenever I'm debriefing a family, I work a lot with the parents because while the health of the kids is critical and is very, very important, that's why I'm there, 
the, the, the kids can't be healthy unless the parents are. And so a lot of it is really talking with the parents about that importance of being vulnerable with their kids, with their emotions, and talking about, we're going to do this grief tower timeline, and it's going to bring up some hard things. And it might be hard for you to write down that you were angry, but let's write it down and then we'll talk about it and hear all the reasons why it's important for your kids to see that. Um, so being that model for them, I can't even express how important that is. Um, but you can't expect your kids to be emotionally vulnerable and learn to be emotionally healthy if you're not willing to take the first step. No, it's a good point. And, um, it's interesting, you know, living and working overseas, you see emotions processed in many different ways. You know, I, we grew my kids grew up in Madagascar, um, and emotions, at least in the Malagasy context, people very rarely showed emotions because it was a, a, a culture. They had emotions, I'm not, but in publicly, and even in certain situations, you had a certain role that you played, so you didn't really show emotions. And to show emotions, was there was a lot of context in there. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting, as you said, um, for, for TCKs to be able to look at their parents and see how they're processing emotions and then to balance out with the culture that they're growing up with because they do see different ways and um, how those are processed processed and uh, the impacts it has on our life. So that, that, um, yeah, that really resonated with me. Should parent, would it be a good idea for parents to maybe do this before they do it with their kids? So the mom and dad could maybe process some things together before they do it the, with their kids, or is it better for everybody to do it all at one time? Or does it depend on a family? I don't know. It definitely depends on the family. Um, when I do it with families, so the first thing I'll say is, is we jumped right in right now to the grief tower timeline. When I'm debriefing families, that's like the end of our time together. Those are the last five hours of our time together because it does take time to build up everybody to that point and to talking about emotions and being vulnerable and that sort of thing. Um, when I work with families, I always have the kids do their own first. And the reason for that is so that the parents can see the kid's perspective. Hmm. And again, the purpose is not the facts. So it doesn't matter if you really lived in the blue house before the yellow house. It's however your perspective is that it ends up on your timeline and your emotions toward it and that sort of thing. And so I have the kids do theirs first. And then um, the kids I have show to the parents, teenagers always have the option I never, ever require teens to show it to their parents. And the reason why is that they need to have the autonomy and ability to process privately. So it's more important that they process than it is for me or for their parents to see how they're processing. That's good. Yeah, that's Um, good. But then I'll go and do it with the family all together. And more times than not, the teenagers will offer up whatever they had already put on their timeline because they've already thought it through. So they'll offer that up as the family's doing it together. And it also then becomes a time for the little kids who maybe didn't think have things in the right order or whatever. They get to see the truth narrated of mm. here's what actually happened. Here's the, the facts. So the kids' timeline, it doesn't matter if they got it right or not. The parents, when they're doing it together as a family, that's when it is important to actually put, okay, we actually lived in this house first, and then we were here, and then this is when we went back to America and get the timeline correct so that they can narrate that for their kids. That's good. One of the other activities um, is I uh, got to read 
in your book was the Grief Tower Jenga game. I think that's maybe maybe I'm saying it wrong. Could you share a little bit about that? Because honestly, it's something that um, our family, um, my wife, Heather, and my kids, Isabel and Josiah, we've we've started using that illustration. Even if we don't have the Jenga game in front of us, um, it's just a, it's a, it's very valid illustration to use it. Um, but even, you know, at breakfast or at lunch or whatever, we begin to talk about that as, as an illustration. Can you share about that? Because it's really been valuable for our family. Yeah, absolutely. So this is how I introduced the concept of the grief tower to families and especially to kids and teens. And I use a traditional Jenga game, but you can also use, and I have used um, just random blocks or um, Legos, whatever you have that you can stack on top of itself. I, I feel like for any activity that I do, I always have like a hundred different ways that you can do it because I lived in Africa. So like, you can do it with rocks, find sticks, whatever, (laughs) (laughs) whatever you can find is fine. And the idea is that you, if you have the traditional Jenga game, we'll, we'll start with that. If you have the traditional Jenga game, you play it like normal. So you pull out the blocks and try not to let the tower fall over. And every time you pull out a block, um, you say something that has ever made you feel upset, angry, disappointed, frustrated, any of those difficult emotions. So it can be something really specific, or it can just be, I feel sad when a friend moves away. So again, specific or not, you go around, everybody in the family does that until the Jenga tower falls over. And instead of each time putting the block back on top of the tower, each family member is just going to set it in front of them. So the idea is that the more times you go around, the higher your little tower in front of you stacks up. And then you talk about at the end how this is like the grief tower. And when we don't talk about these hard things and we don't process them, they just stack higher and higher. And like that tower in the middle that fell over, that's what happens. And, and how does it feel or what does it look like when that happens? And usually kids will say, well, it, it makes a mess and it gets all over everywhere. And maybe it hurts people or maybe it is harder to clean up or whatever it is. And we talk about how that's a lot like what happens if you don't talk about this, this grief and all these hard things that eventually it's going to fall down and make a mess for you, for the people around you. It's going to hurt the people you love. And so the purpose of either debriefing or talking through these hard things is to take the blocks one by one off the tower instead of letting it fall over. Um, Grief processing is not fun. And when I am debriefing families and we start grief processing day, which is always the second day, I start with this Jenga game to explain the importance because otherwise, if there's no good reason for it, then eventually they're going to start thinking, this is not very fun anymore. Why are we even doing this? And so I all the time then come back to, Remember that grief tower? That's why we're doing this. I know this is hard. I know it's not fun to talk about these things, but it's way better to do it now than to let it stack up and fall over later. So that ends up being a really good analogy to keep using over and over. For sure. And so, so it's exhausting um, is what I hear as you process your emotions. It uh, Exhausting might be have negative connotations, but I, I do know the times that I've 
even in grief and in regularly regular part of life, um, it is a, you find I find myself tired and I've not really done anything that I can you know nothing physically that you would think wow I'm so tired but just emotionally yeah. it's like I am exhausted and I think it is in that process of of um, processing that with that what advice would you have for parents um, it, how can they help their kids or how can they help themselves if they're feeling exhausted as they process these these types of emotions. Yeah. So the first thing is to realize that it is super normal to be exhausted after doing any sort of grief processing. And I always recommend that they take a day off after, let their kids stay in their pajamas, let them just zone out or play however they need to. But if you would imagine being in an intensive counseling session for a while afterward, how would you feel? You'd probably feel really tired. You probably wouldn't want to talk to many people. You probably would just want to zone out and turn your brain off. And sometimes I think that, that we think that kids aren't the same, that they'll just go through it and then bounce back and be ready to go. And that's, that's not true. They're just as tired, just as exhausted. Their brain was working just as hard to process all these things. And it's important to give grace and time for both yourself and the kids to, to have that space to process. So it's good then to, to schedule this in a, maybe in a time and season where it's not on top of each other. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Good yeah. deal. Good deal. I, I like to schedule my life. So it, it helps me as a parent to think, well, maybe I need to give a day or so in there because if not, I'd schedule something else on top of that. And then there I would, there I would be. Um, yeah. Don't, don't do it right before you're supposed to show up at church to give a speech the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably would not be good or sermon preparation or whatever else we were working on. Um, what advice would you have for parents that they hear about the, 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 uh, the grief tower they hear about the, the the timeline and they say, you know what, I'm in a place in context and I don't think I have the capacity or the emotional energy to do this. Mm-hmm. What encouragement would you have for them? That is so valid. That's so valid, especially if you yourself as a parent are in a high stress context, you're in a high stress or high emotion season, or you're in the midst of your own season of grief. It's really important that First of all, you focus on getting yourself healthy into a good place, Um, but don't simultaneously neglect giving your kids the ability to process that. Also, it's important to note that if you're in an intense season of grief, it is impacting your kids. And so there is processing that they need to do as well. And so finding someone who can come and debrief your kids. I do virtual debriefs, so you don't even have to have somebody there in person. Um, That sort of thing. There's a number of different organizations that offer support for helping kids process grief and that sort of thing. Um, But it's really important, ultimately, that it doesn't just get pushed back and that you move on with life. And never turn around and process that because it it will be on the grief tower for forever until you decide to process it and take it off. And it's way easier to do it shortly after that happens than 18 years down the road. That's good. And I, you know, I'm a learner and I like to grow and grow in capacity. And um, I do think if we don't, at least it's okay to admit it. And you said it's valid, but I think to stay there um, forever 
is, you know, is the consequences. So your, we have your book, we have your two books um, and your services. Are there other books that maybe someone says, I would like to learn on growing in the capacity to process these areas? Are there some resources? Yeah, absolutely. I do workshops all the time. There you go. And, <laughs> um, I even now have a subscription, which is exciting. That's new as of last week, I think. And it is for parents It's $17 a month for parents. And that gives you access to all of the 2021 workshops as long as you're a subscriber. And so there's workshops specifically for parents of toddlers living overseas and one specifically for um, caring for TCKs when you're not the parent. So a great one to have your, your parents, the, the grandparents of the TCKs sitting yeah, in awesome. on. Yeah. That sort of thing. So all sorts of workshops all the time. And you can find those all at tcktraining.com. Awesome. And your new book, um, it's not out yet, at least the time of this recording. Do you know when it's going to be released and how will be how will listeners be able to find your book? Yeah, so it is available for pre-order now, which is exciting. And you can find that on the front page of my website. And then I am um, still very hopeful that it will be out on January 31st. So in just a few weeks, um, it's always, there are a lot of people involved and a lot of moving (laughs) parts and a lot of tapping people on their shoulders. So ideally that's when it will come out. Um, But I'm still waiting for the, I'm waiting for the final draft myself. So good deal. Good deal. Well, I appreciate you um, being on the podcast with us today. I learned so much um, from I've, we, my wife has participated in your webinars and then we process together and um, your books have been very encouraging to me and um, this one also. And I'm looking forward. I got to read a few of the beginning chapters, looking forward to, to be able to read it all. And um, would you pray for us today that God will use what you shared with us today um, to help our TCKs and to help us as we um, process grief and the grief tower and the grief timeline and the activities you've shared with us. Yes, I would love to. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that you are a God that's not scared of our grief, that's not um, going to downplay it or defend or any of those things, but that you really do comfort us and you help us to learn to grow from it, um, but also to affirm it and realize that that grief is real and it is significant and we need to process it. God, I pray for all of the listeners as they think through this. Um, Maybe it's a little bit intimidating or a little bit overwhelming or triggers some things in them. God, I pray that you would give them peace, that you would equip them, that you would Um, just help them to be so courageous and brave as they think about how they can use this information with their own family. I pray for the processing that's going to happen through that, that these kids that are all over the world that are growing up cross-culturally that you know I love so dearly, I pray that this would really um, be a catalyst for their health, for their grief processing, and for them moving Um, forward into hopefully healthy adulthood um, when they get to that point. Thank you so much, Lord, for this time. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. 